Great to see you, Journey. We're in our second week of our Summer at the Movies series. And some of you might be asking, why are you talking about movies? Why are you bringing movies into this? Why don't you just talk about the Bible? Well, let me tell you what I believe to be true. I believe that there are stories out there, that there are dramas out there that capture our heart. And I think part of the reason that that happens is because these stories are actually echoes from a larger story. The larger story being God's story of what he is doing in and through the world to bring people back into a relationship with him. The movie that I want to talk about today, and I'm super excited about this, is the movie Apollo 13. Uh, if you're too young to have seen Apollo 13, it's about the, the failed uh, moon expedition landing uh, in the early 70s. But here's the actual reason why I love this movie. See, I was an engineer when I was in college. That's what I trained as. What other movie do the guys with the thick glasses and the pocket protector? I don't even know how to use this. But the guys with the thick glasses and the pocket protector they are the sexy heroes in this movie. This is like the Rocky movie for engineers. Let's watch one of the opening scenes of Apollo 13. And then if you could uh, give your oxygen tanks a stir. Roger that. Stirred the tanks. Whoa. Hey. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Classic line. Houston, we have a problem. See, this drama, this movie, the mission barely gets started and things go terribly wrong. It actually becomes a disaster. And what was going to be a simple walk on the moon now becomes an absolute rescue mission. What are we gonna do to try to get these men out of space and back home where they belong? If you know the story of the Bible, this story barely gets started and things go terribly wrong. Heaven, we have a problem. What started out as a simple walk in the garden becomes an absolute disaster. People are lost. They're separated from God. And if you know the storyline of the Bible, the storyline of the Bible is God redeeming people back, bringing them back home where they belong, into a relationship with him. The storyline of the Bible, we have the beautiful creation story, followed by the fall where Adam and Eve decided that they're going to go their own way, wandering away from God. But then there's this next piece of the story. It's the redemptive part of the story where God is doing everything he can to bring people back into a relationship with him. And then ultimately, this story is gonna end in restoration, where God brings justice and makes everything right again. That's the storyline of the Bible. But here's the question that I have for us. 
is where are we at in that story? What is our role in God's story? If we're in that redemptive piece, that piece of the story where God is redeeming people back into a relationship with him, the question for us is what is our role in that? And we're gonna look at some things today about this mission of God because God is on this mission of bringing people back into a relationship with him. But what do we need to know about his mission? And today we're gonna learn about the radical scope of his mission. We're gonna learn about the relentless search in his mission. It's relentless. And we're gonna learn about the rejoicing celebration of his mission. And we're gonna look at a text of scripture from Luke chapter 15. And this is a text of scripture where Jesus actually tells a series of stories or parables And these stories are actually directed at the religious people of his day. And if you know about the story of Jesus, you know that in his time of his active ministry, he was often at odds with the religious leaders. Over and over again, they were pushing back on him because they didn't understand the radical scope of what God was trying to do to bring people back into a relationship with him. And this is what we need to learn about the radical scope of the mission starting in Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. The religious people, they muttered. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. If you can, try to picture the scene a little bit. On one side of the room... You've got Jesus, and he is completely surrounded by people. What kind of people? The marginalized and the questionable. Those were the people that felt most comfortable coming up and talking to Jesus. What were they doing as they were gathered around him? Scriptures tell us that they were eating, they were drinking, they were laughing, they were listening, because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. And it's interesting that the religious leaders, they made this comment, he eats with them. Because the idea of eating in that culture, it wasn't just a sense of something that we do every day, but it was a sense of I'm inviting somebody into my life. By Jesus eating with them, he was saying, I want you to be a part of my life. I want to invite you into who I am. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing here. That's one side of the room. But there's another side of the room where the religious leaders are standing. And they've assumed the religious position. They've got their arms crossed. They've got their head back so that they can look down their nose at everybody that's over here. And what does it say they're doing? Over there's the marginalized and the questionable. Over here, we've got the mutterers and the questioning. And here's the question they're asking. Who, Who does he think he is eating with people like that? Does he have any idea of the reputations of those people? Does he have any idea what those people did last night? So they sit on their side of the room and they just smugly mutter, 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 mutter. In preparing for this message, I said that word out loud so many times, I actually don't even like the sound of it anymore. Mutter, you know what mutter means? This is what mutter means. This is the definition. It says to say something in a low or barely audible voice, especially in dissatisfaction or irritation. 
This is why I hate muttering. Because what muttering does, muttering belittles. Muttering divides, creates a dividing line between people. Muttering looks down on other people. It's like, I I so value you so little that I'm not even gonna speak in a full voice to tell you what I think about you. Muttering. Religious people muttering. But here's what's interesting. They weren't just muttering about the people that were around Jesus. They were muttering at Jesus. The religious people had so missed it, they were actually muttering about God himself. And here's the complete irony of this. These religious leaders, they're supposed to be the people that are on God's side. They're supposed to be the ones that are his voice into the world. He's the, they're the ones that are supposed to be building a bridge to the world. They're to be the representatives of God's mission. But where did they find themselves? They found themselves on the complete opposite side of God and they found themselves muttering, muttering. And here was the problem. They got to the place where they thought that those people around Jesus, they thought that those people were the enemies of God rather than the audience of God. See, they looked at them and looked at their life and the way they thought, the way they dressed, the way their lifestyle was different. And they said, these are enemies of God. And Jesus said, they're not my enemies, they're my audience. They're who I came to be with. Now, I think it would be also easy for us to stand on this side and look back at the religious leaders and cross our arms and look down our nose and start to do a little muttering of our own and just saying, who do they think they are to look down on anybody, especially God? But let's just take a time out. Can we do that? Can we be those religious people sometimes that look at others and mutter and miss it? See, there's so many times when I read the scriptures, I I find myself wanting to just put these Pharisees in the place of the villains. They're just the ultimate bad guys in this story. But what I know to be true is these were men that were zealous. They cared about the things of God. They're probably way more zealous than me or you would ever have been. But the problem was, is they were zealous about the wrong things. And it caused them to completely miss the bigger picture of what was God's heart for his mission. They missed his radical scope. And I know that we can do that too. Because I listen to people of faith sometimes. People who are passionate about their faith. I hear how they talk about other people. People who think differently than they do. Maybe act differently than they do. Have a different lifestyle than they do. Different beliefs, different values, maybe even different politics. And they look at them as if somehow they are the enemies of God. Friends, Jesus would say to us, people are never the enemy of the gospel. They are the audience of the gospel. And if we ever get to that place in our heart where we miss that and we can miss that, we're gonna get to the place where we're gonna wanna distance ourselves from people just like the Pharisees did. They're the problem. I wanna distance myself from them. And then what's gonna happen is we're gonna miss out on the mission of God because in his mission, he says we've got to close the distance. We've gotta move toward people. In fact, there is a relentless search that we need to be about to be a part of what his mission is happening in the world. 
We're going to look at a second scene from Apollo 13. And this is a scene where after things had gone bad, and they realized that this has gone from a walk in the moon to a rescue mission. Mission control says we're going to focus every effort we have, everything we've got, to get these men back home where they belong. Let's watch this scene. So you're telling me you can only give our guys 45 hours? That brings them to about there. Gentlemen, that's not acceptable. Whoa, whoa, guys! Power is everything. Power is everything. What do you mean? Without it, they don't talk to us. They don't correct their trajectory. They don't turn the heat shield around. We got to turn everything off now. They're not going to make it to re-entry. What do you mean everything? With everything on, the LEM draws 60 amps. At that rate, in 16 hours, the batteries are dead, not 45. And so's the crew. We got to get them down to 12 amps. How many? You can't run a vacuum cleaner on 12 amps, John. You have to turn off the radars, cabin heater, instrument displays, the guidance computer, the whole smack. Whoa, guidance computer? What if they need to do another burn? Gene, they won't even know which way they're pointed. The more time we talk down here, the more juice they waste up there. I've been looking at the data for the past hour. That's the deal? That's the deal. Okay, John. The minute we finish the burn, we'll power down the limb. All right. Now, in the meantime, we're going to have a frozen command module up there. In a couple days, we're going to have to power it up, using nothing but the re-entry batteries. Never been tried before. We've never even simulated it before, Gene. Well, we're going to have to figure it out. I want people in our simulators, working re-entry scenarios. I want you guys to find every engineer who designed every switch, every circuit, every transistor, and every light bulb that's up there. Then I want you to talk to the guy in the assembly line who actually built the thing. Find out how to squeeze every amp out of both of these machines. I want this mark all the way back to Earth with time to spare. We never lost an American in space. We're sure we're not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. You can clap if you want to. Come on, don't you want to clap? Yes, over there, I love that. But I love Gene Kranz's heart there. We've never lost an American in space and we are not gonna lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. Every one matters. That's Gene Kranz. This is how Jesus describes it as he continues in Luke 15. It says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, there is this, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. Gene Krantz and Jesus. If I were to boil down what I think they were trying to say in that movie and in the scriptures, it's this, people are valuable. People are valuable. Even one person is valuable. Every person is valuable. 
And what they would say is, you drop everything when one of those people is lost. You do everything that you can to get them back home. Several years ago, my family and I, we were on one of our family vacations in the north woods of Minnesota, and we just love going there. One of the traditions that we have when we're there is we, we love to hunt blueberries. And my mother-in-law makes the most amazing blueberry pie you've ever eaten. I feel like I've gained weight just talking about it. It's unbelievable. We just sit around for two weeks and eat pie after pie after pie. We just love it. So when we go out to pick blueberries, I'm actually a little bit competitive, you know, because the blueberries there, they're, they're kind of small. They taste really good, but they're really small. So to get even a small amount takes a lot of time. So I want to make sure that I'm maximizing my time and I'm getting my container full. So I want my container to be more full than everyone else's. And you know, you find those bushes every once in a while where the berries are just a little bit bigger than the other ones. And you just think, oh yeah, I'm getting ahead. I'm getting ahead. Well, I was out there excited, finding tons and tons of blueberries. Finally, my wife comes to me and she said, you know, I haven't seen Jaden in a while. I was like, okay, I'm doing my blueberries. I'm doing my blueberries. But then it came time, we started looking, still couldn't find him. And we're out in the north woods of Minnesota. Everything looks the same. And it's so easy to get lost because you've got your head down and you're just trying to move from place to place to find the best blueberries. But he was gone. We couldn't find him. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll go search for him. I've got a loud voice. I'll just yell and kind of figure out where he's coming from. Yelling, Jaden, Jaden. No response, no response. Minutes keep adding up. Time keeps going by. I get more and more panicked. And suddenly, this is just so crazy. Off in the distance, we started hearing gunshots. And then everything starts going through your mind. It's like, where's my son? What happened to him? Where do I find him? So I found myself trying to run in circles to try to get as far out to the perimeter as I can without getting lost myself. And I'm in this heavy sweatshirt because that's the, the only respite that you have from mosquitoes and flies and bees there. And so I can barely breathe because I'm running and I'm screaming and I'm trying to find my son. And all I can think about is how in the world am I gonna get to him? I was not thinking about picking blueberries anymore. And then I started to think about what I need to do as I need to find my way back to the parking lot. I remember seeing those float planes at that big lake. I need to go there, I need to find a pilot, I need to do whatever I can to start flying around here. He's got a bright blue sweatshirt on, I know I can find him if I can just get in the air. So I run back to the parking lot, and it's probably been a couple hours by then. And at that point I see our van pulling up to the parking lot. And the door opens, and I see my son come out of the door. And I was a ways away, but I just remember I just dropped. I just dropped to my knees. I was so thankful that he was okay. It's so crazy. I'm like, years later, I'm still emotional, thinking about what that was like. I remember going down and grabbing a hold of him, and I thought if he hadn't died, I'd, that hug just about killed him. He just choking the air out of him. I was just so excited to see him. When I think back to what that was like, what that felt like when he was gone, it was the most awful feeling in the world. And I never want to repeat that. But you know what I like about having gone through that? Is when I read this story now, it helps me understand maybe just a little bit how God feels when he thinks about his kids that are wandering away from him, apart from him. And it makes me understand why Jesus would say what he said. 
You would leave the 99. You would go after the one because one matters. Even if it's not your son, one matters. Every person matters. Every person is worth taking a risk in order to find them. That's what Jesus wants us to know. And that's why when he tells this story, he talks about leaving the 99 completely unattended in order to go after just one that's been lost. Do you realize the risk of that? Everything that the shepherd is trying to do is to protect the sheep from all the things that could kill them. For him to walk away from them would leave them completely at risk. But Jesus wants us to understand that's his heart. That is God's heart. He's willing to leave the 99 because the one matters. One person matters. Journey, we've got to get this right. We've got to understand what it is that God is calling us to do and to be as a church. We've got to be a church that is willing to take risk to go after the one. Journey, we've got to take risk. Not because we're a bunch of over-caffeinated adrenaline junkies that just need to try things. We need to do it because one person matters. We need to take risks. Journey, will we fail sometimes when we take risks to go after the one? Yes. Yes, we will. But if we are not failing, in my opinion, we're not taking the faith risks that God would want us to have. Leaving the 99 to go after the one, doing whatever it takes. Are we going to make mistakes? Yes. And we'll say sorry and we'll keep moving on. But are we going to keep trying to go after every person? Because every person in our valley, in our state, in our country, in the world matters to God. Are we willing to take risks to do that? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Can I make a little observation about Jesus' rescue mission, going after the one. Jesus did not wait until people stopped sinning before he moved toward them, before he extended his love toward them, before he showed them how much it was that he valued them. That's why Jesus, when he was here on earth, he spent his time with the tax collectors, the pimps and the prostitutes, the lame and the lepers. Those were his people because in his eyes, Everybody matters. Everyone matters. And think about that one sheep. Of all of the hundred sheep, what sheep has the worst performance record? Of all 100 sheep, it's the one that's lost. Which one has acted the most foolishly? It's the one. Which one might have the least amount of discernment of all the other sheep? Which one maybe has the most to be ashamed of? The one. You know what else the one has? That one has the full attention of the shepherd. He's gonna risk everything, he's gonna do everything he can to bring that one home where it belongs. That is the heart of Jesus. His heart is not get your life together, Start behaving the way that you should, and then I will show you love and I will value you. Jesus wants every person to know you are loved and you are valued and you can trust me. Give your life to me. Follow me. Follow me as a disciple. Get covered in my dust. Walk the steps that I've walked because you can trust me, because I value you, 
And that's where our obedience comes from. We're valued so we obey. We don't obey so that God will value us. That is the good news of the gospel. And that was the heart of Jesus. A relentless search. Just like the engineers did everything they could to bring those men home. Jesus said, we got to do everything we can to bring people back into a relationship with God. Another scene that I want to show you from Apollo 13 is toward the end of the movie. As the lunar capsules heading back to earth, there was an amount of time, about three minutes. They said, if it goes longer than three minutes, it's probably a disaster. But it says there's three minutes of communication blackout. I just want you to see that scene where the people were waiting to see if those astronauts were going to make it home. Odyssey Houston, do you read me? Odyssey, this is Houston, do you read? Expected time of reacquisition, the time when the astronauts were expected to come out of blackout, has come and gone. But all any of us can do now is just listen and hope. We're about to learn whether or not that heat shield, which was damaged, as you remember, by the explosion three days ago, has withstood the inferno of reentry. Odyssey, this is Houston. Do you read me? Odyssey, Houston, do you read me? Three minutes, 30 seconds, stand by. Odyssey, Houston, do you read me? Odyssey, this is Houston. Do you read me? That's four minutes standing by. Odyssey, uh, Houston, do you read? again absolutely they made it home they made it home and there was a celebration everybody clapped and cheered Luke 15 7 talks about that kind of a celebration I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent you want to know how to get a party started in heaven? Reach the one. Do you want God and the angels to have a major rager up there? See the one come back home 
where they belong. It's a picture. It's just a little picture of heaven coming to earth, rejoicing, because something that was lost made it home. Jesus didn't want us to be confused about what the win was for the church. Journey, we've got to keep our eyes on the ball. What is the win for our church? The win is the one. The win is the one. If Jesus were here, he wouldn't care if there there was a church of nine people. He would say, it's about the one. Don't forget the one. If it was 99 people, just like he said, he would say, it's about the one. Don't forget the one. If it was 499, 999, 1,999, that's not what is impressing God, how many people we can gather in this building. His heart is always for the one journey. We've got to have our heart on the one. We want to be a part of doing anything to help bring one back home. The win is in the one. Journey, that's why we do baptisms the way that we do. Here. And if you've been around, you've seen it. We have people share their stories up there. And a lot of people say, I don't want to get in front of the camera. I don't want to tell my story in front of people. And as many people as I can, I say, would you please? You've got to, because we want to celebrate with you. Because that's what gets God excited. That's what gets the angels in heaven excited. And journey, that's what's got to excite us as a church. The win is in the one. Journey, God's on a mission. He is on a redemptive mission in this world. And I just think we're at a crossroads always where we've got to ask ourselves the question, are we going to be a church that mutters? Or are we going to be a church that matters? Because you can pick one or the other. There's plenty of churches out there that are just muttering, muttering about people and the things that they're doing. I want there to be more churches that matter. I want ours to be a church that matters that matters to the people who are on the margins of faith in life. People that don't live the kind of lifestyles that we live. They don't have maybe the same kind of vocabulary that we have. They don't have the same political perspectives that we have. The same worldview that we have. They don't think like we do. We need to be like Jesus because you know what? Jesus didn't mutter, but Jesus mattered. He didn't mutter, but he mattered. And you know how he mattered? He would continually cross boundaries. Over and over again, he crossed boundaries. It didn't matter whether it was a tax collector, a pimp, a prostitute, a leper, a lame person. He reached out. He showed them love. He showed them value. But it wasn't just the marginalized in the culture either. It was the popular and the educated. He went after the Apostle Pauls and the Nicodemuses. Because he understood the win is in the one. Every person matters. Every person matters. I've been thinking about this a lot. And I say, what is it going to look like around here when we get it? What is it going to look like if we actually keep our eye on the ball? And this is the kind of church that we are. That doesn't mutter, but a church that matters. This is what I think is going to be true. Irreligious people, people that are on the margins of faith, People that maybe have tons of questions about God. People that are skeptical. People that may not understand everything that we do. May not even like everything that we do. Maybe think some of the things that we do are just strange. But those people, friends, they will never feel undervalued. They'll never feel overlooked. 
and they'll never feel unworthy of our time and our energy and our love. They can disagree with everything. They can not even like us, but they're going to say, those people care about me. Those people care about me. And this is what I wonder. I think about that group that I talked about earlier, that group that Jesus was sitting with. Do you ever wonder how many of those people, because I mean, it wasn't just that group, because he did that his whole life. That was his whole ministry, was hanging out with the marginalized. How many of those people do you think surrendered their life to him and followed, them, followed him wholeheartedly? Every one of them? I don't think so. You know why? Because at the end of Jesus' ministry, there's only about 120 people that were still following him. But Jesus ministered to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Not every person that Jesus showed love and value to followed him with their life. But you know what I believe to be true? Is if we could ask any one of them, did that rabbi from Nazareth, did he love you? They'd be like, oh yeah, he loved us. He valued us. Friends, if we're getting it right, people will feel loved and valued. by. They'll feel so welcomed in this place. Even if they don't like anything that we say or we do, they will feel so welcomed in this place. And you know where else they're gonna feel welcomed? They're gonna feel welcomed in your home. You know, it's not just hope that you can, they'll show up in here someday and you can look at the back of their head in this big room, but you're gonna invite them to your home. Live life with them, eat with them. And you know, you, when we really hit the sweet spot, you know what's gonna be true? They're gonna be inviting you to their home because they know that person loves me. That person cares about me. Journey, that's when we'll have hit the sweet spot. But you know what else is gonna be true when we hit the sweet spot? Religious people in this world are gonna mutter. They're gonna look at us and they're gonna shake their heads. I don't know about that crew at Journey. I don't know about some of the things that they do. I'm not sure about who they're hanging out with. I'm not sure about where they're hanging out with them. Religious people in the world are gonna mutter, but that's okay. They muttered at Jesus, they're gonna mutter at us. And if we're gonna truly try to live out our mission statement, we lead people to radical love and action like Jesus, our life has gotta look a lot more like Jesus in terms of who we're willing to hang out with and where we're willing to hang out with and how we're willing to show them love. Radical love and action. There was another scene from Apollo 13 that I love. And it was, it was right before the capsule went into that communications blackout. And there were all this list of things that could have gone wrong. They were worried about the heat shields and they didn't know, are the, are the parachutes, are they gonna be three blocks of ice? We don't know if any of this is gonna, and there were a couple of engineers and they were sitting there talking to each other and one of them was muttering, listing all the things that could go wrong. And he looks at the other engineer and he says, this has the potential to be the worst disaster in NASA's history. And I love Gene Krantz. He was standing in front of him and he turned around to them and he said, gentlemen, with all due respect, I believe this is gonna be our finest hour. Journey, I think we stand at a crossroads. Are we gonna be a church that mutters? Are we gonna be a church that matters? 
And if we keep our eye on the ball, if we value the things that Jesus valued, if we love people the way that Jesus loved people, I think I can confidently stand before you and say, with all due respect, this is gonna be our greatest hour. Do churches have problems? Yes. We've gone through a lot of problems around here. But this we can't get wrong. This we can't get wrong. We've got to get this right. We've got to love people the way that Jesus loved people. Because the win as a church, friends, it's in the one. We've got to, can't be a church that mutters. We've got to be a church that matters. But I know in a, in a room like this that there's, there's a spectrum of where people are at right now. I asked you at the beginning, like, well, where's your role? Where are you at in this redemptive story that God is working in this world? And maybe if you were just honest with yourself, you know, I think I'm kind of like the lost sheep. I think I'm wandering away from God. He feels really distant. Can I just confidently say to you that the shepherd has his eyes on you? Maybe you don't see him, but he sees you. Turn around, trust him, move toward him, give more of your life to him. You can trust this shepherd. Maybe there's some of you in this room. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm just trying to be honest. You've been muttering. You've been muttering. You've been looking at people like they're the problem. They're the issue with this world. Like they're the enemies of the gospel. Friends, people are never the enemy of the gospel. They are the audience for the gospel. We've got to get this right. No more muttering. We've got to be a church that matters. And we've got to take a next step. Maybe you're not muttering. Maybe you're not looking down on people, but you're not making room for people at your table either. Are you making room in your life and your time to invite people to your table so that they would be the ones that would say, they loved me. I didn't agree with everything that they believed. I don't follow everything that they followed, but they loved me. And they told me about the shepherd. Journey, that's the church that we need to be. A church that is willing to make room at the table because we know that the win as a church is in the one. The win is in the one. Let's pray. God, I can't talk about this without taking time to just say, God, thank you that you reached out to me when I was the one wandering, not giving a rip about you or the things of your kingdom. None of it mattered. But you had your eyes on me. And God, I'm so thankful that you sent another person, Lord, that showed me love, that showed me value, told me about who you were and what you've done for me. And it changed my life forever. God, thank you that you did that for me. God, I don't want to take my eye off the ball. I don't want our church to take our eye off the ball. God, we need to be those people that care about the one. Lord, show us. Would you please show us how to care about the one? Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. 
If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.